Uh, it was about, uh, about this time last year. It seems like, it seems like a long time. Uh, it was like the beginning of the COVID season. A season is supposed to be like four months, right? So maybe this is not a season. I'm not quite sure what we're in right now, but it's, it seems like it's still going. But it was at the beginning of this where we were dealing with COVID. We were dealing with race issues. We're dealing with politics. And I don't know about you, but it just seemed like there was a lot of chatter. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of talking heads. And those talking heads were turning into pointing fingers. There's a lot of that going on. A lot of division. A lot of sides that being people being forced to take. I didn't, edit, didn't do this first service. Remember the Lord of the Rings when the elves and the dwarves and the humans were fighting about the ring? It's kind of what it felt like. They were just like, like completely out of control, right? And again, it was about this time last year. I'm like, I got to get out of here. I need, I need to get above all this mess, this static. I need to, I need to clear my head. Like, I don't, I don't, there are so many talking heads going on right now. So many different opinions. People thinking they're right and people thinking that other people are wrong. I, I just don't even feel like I could even hear God's voice because so many voices were talking. Is, it, is that just me? I'm like, I got to get out of here. I got to get above I got to get above this. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to do Mount Baldy. So I, I did the peak, spent the night up there. Um, but it was about... It was at least an hour of, of hiking in. Hour, maybe two hours. That the static began to go away. That the voices and the scenarios and the ruminating on all the negative things that were taking place in this world was about to go away. It took me a couple of hours just being disconnected before I was able to have any kind of breakthrough or to even hear God's voice. I remember I was uh, in a canyon or a valley of some sorts, and I could hear it at the very top. A wind beginning. You could hear the sound pour down the mountain. And at some point, the momentum of the sound began to, to, to increase and to pick up and to go faster and faster. And it was almost like it was an invisible freight train that was pouring down the mountain. And then you could hear it and see it hit the pine trees. And when the wind began to blow through the pine trees, they began to move and then sounds beginning to take place and the cracks and the pops of the pines. And then that gust of wind just hits my face, blows my hair. And I'm like, whoa. Hello, Yahweh. <laughs> and I needed that experience more than I needed my cell phone. Sorry. <laughs> I needed that. I, I needed to get out. I needed to get above. And uh, eventually I made the peak. It's the highest peak in Los Angeles County. And it has an incredible view. If you're on a clear day on top of Mount Baldy, you can see Catalina Island and the Los Angeles skyscrape. It's an amazing place to be. And the Lord began to do something to me on the mountain. And in, in, that, in that space, he began to speak to me, even though I really couldn't, didn't really have an understanding of what specifically he was telling me. Of course, I brought my Bible and I read all of Revelation on that night. Um, I read the Gospel of John a lot of the Psalms and a lot of Proverbs, looking for God's wisdom, looking for God's insight. And, of course, 
and I did a whole sermon on this, God speaks to us through his word. But what God was teaching me in that moment is that God also speaks to us in his creation. So yeah, I got stuff out of the Bible on that trip for sure. But what I really got being inside of God's creation was what I needed in the moment and in the time for the season that we are in right now. I probably wouldn't be leading very well like I am. I'm not saying I'm leading well right now, but I'd... <laughs> I'd probably be curled up in a little ball crying right now if I hadn't have spent time with the Lord on the mountain. And I, this is what I got. I got a different perspective. I got high. I got really high. And it, let me rephrase that. <laughs> okay. I mean, no, no. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> There's something to being on top of a mountain at night and looking down over the valley and seeing all these little lights that represent your houses and the, the cities of Claremont, Upland, Pomona, Montclair, Rancho Cucamonga, Laverne, San Dimas, and all these little tiny lights. And when you're up there on the top of God's creation, you just see things a little differently. And those big giant problems aren't as big as you once thought that they were. So the Lord gave me a different perspective of all the craziness that was taking place in the valleys. Gave me a strength and a power that I did not have in that moment. I was able to do hard things this year. Hard things that I didn't think I could do. Regardless, I was able to do hard things because I had spent time in God's creation. Man, and I got, I got some rest. I got rejuvenated. My, my soul and my emotions were refreshed. Now, let me make the point. I, I did the peak. I made it to the top. The Forties can attest to that, huh? They, they were there. We, their boys like passed me on the trail, like little mountain goats. I'm like, <laughs> like what's going on? Like they, they went up, they came back down. Like, Are you okay, Pastor Josh? Are you going to kill over here? What's going on? <laughs> and I tell you, I made it to the top. I made it down. I was exhausted, tired. Why? Because I'm out of shape. Because the, you know, the, not, it wasn't the COVID-15, it was the COVID-20 that, that I put on. And you know, for some reason, we just thought because we were, you know, in lockdown and COVID, therefore we can't exercise and work out and take care of ourselves. I'm not quite sure how that works, but we used it as, that, as an excuse to get overweight and not take care of our bodies. So I felt that going up that mountain. And even though after I got back, after I got home and my knees were swollen and throbbing, and my body's like, what did you just do to me? Even though that my knees weren't restored, my soul was restored, and I was rested and fresh. Isn't that awesome? God speaks to us in, in a variety of different ways. Nature's one of them. It's one that we all are lacking. We came here this morning to, to worship God, and we did it. We're still doing it. And in order for us Americans to worship God properly, we have to sit in comfortable seats, and we have to have musical instruments and keyboards that, that, that nice, pretty sounds come out of, and we, we sing, or these guys sing into microphones. It gets projected through speakers. We have stage lights. Some churches have fog machines and lasers, and we need this. Now, I'm not bashing contemporary worship. I'm just saying we need it because there's something broken inside of us. We need to get worked up in order to, to, to worship God, right? And unfortunately, that's just the truth. But did you know 
If you have a proper relationship with nature, you don't need all this lights and glitter and lasers and stuff. You don't need it. Before Adam and Eve were created, God made this planet. And he programmed this planet to worship. The planet was worshiping God before we were created. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, which is logos in Greek, and then well, that's Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Everything was made by Him and for Him, meaning that the planet was created to worship God, to worship Jesus. He created it, and He created it to worship. So, like if He didn't get enough of worship, you can just step into the next worship session, which is in the mountains, or it's in the desert, or it's by a lake, or a stream, or maybe even in your backyard garden. It, worship is still going on. I know I'm preaching, but all of creation is worshiping right now. The scriptures say that the rocks are crying out. The rocks themselves, the chemical compounds and makeup of stones are worshiping God. The, the, the Bible describes trees as clapping their hands in, 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 a, in worship. Flowers are, are vibrating their energy in, a, in an expression of worship to God. It's taking place in powerful ways right now. Again, we just don't have a proper relationship with nature to see it or to even understand it. So I just want to encourage you today to get to know Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh by pushing into nature this week. It's going to be so good for you. It's going to get the anxiety and the stress and the, the, the focusing and the ruminating and all these things taking place, it's going to give you a break and you'll be able to breathe. Abraham, Father Abraham, was one of the first that, that got it, that was exposed. Well, they were all exposed to it, but we see God forming his family, his forever family, with a proper perspective in the context of nature. Now, I know you have problems. Abraham had problems just like you do. He was a man like any other man. He was, frankly, he was a pagan that God got a hold of. He was somebody that didn't understand necessarily what truth was and, and didn't have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God, and God met him, and God had an encounter with Abraham, and God began to speak to him. And we see God using nature to communicate directly to Abraham. Genesis chapter 15. We'll start at verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord, Yahweh, came to Abraham in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate, Eliezer of Damascus, uh, is not my child. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. He's facing a difficult situation. He's trying to problem solve an issue without God. Have you ever tried to solve a, pro a big problem without God? How well did that go? How well did that go? Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. All right. So Abraham, he was, says, don't be afraid. So Abraham is afraid. He is doubting God. He's actually verbalizing his doubt to God. He's, he's, he's like speaking doubt into existence. He's thinking about the wrong things. And then God does, to the, does this to him. He took him outside and said, look up 
Put your head up. Look up at the heavens and count the stars if you can. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed. It's important. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And this is where we see this man of faith begin to, again, believe and take hold and and align himself to God's promises and and God's solutions. And how does he do it? He he drags him out of his tent, and he says, you need to look up into the stars. He literally changes his perspective. All of these little problems that Abraham thought that were huge, like not being able to, to get his wife pregnant, not being able to fulfill the promise, not being able to shake off the fear and the anxiety. God knew exactly what he needed. He changed his perspective. He says, you just need to look at these stars. This is my promise for you. All this other stuff is static. You need to gaze into eternity. You need to look at the infinite. This is who I am. I'm way bigger than this pregnancy problem. Nothing for me. And Abraham believed it. But he didn't believe until his optics were changed. Until he started seeing what God can do. and he, Until he started seeing what the world was like from a different lens. And he's calling us into this as well. If there's an issue, if there's a problem that's consuming your life, if you're dealing with fear and anxiety and doubt... God's just saying the same thing. He's going to grab you by the hand, maybe grab you by the neck or the hair, and he's going to yank you out of your tent, and he's going to change your perspective. And I just want to encourage you to let him do so. Second thing God does is he gives us such incredible strength and power when we step into his creation and we let God's creation speak to us. It's an interesting thing about Jesus' life. He, um, obviously, Jesus is, is a person of prayer. We are to model our lives after the life of Jesus. Now, you're never going to be Jesus. You're never going to become a God. You might think that you're the God of your own life. That might be your philosophy, but you will never be God. We are, we are created to worship Him. And yet, God in His grace and His goodness, He has made a way so each and every day we can become more and more and more like Him. More and more Christ-like. We think like Jesus. We act like Jesus. Our behavior reflects what Jesus would do. He wants us to do these things. If you haven't been baptized, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I already accepted Jesus into my mind and my heart. I don't really need to get baptized. I mean, technically you don't. But Jesus was baptized. He is our model. If Jesus humbled himself to be baptized, I think maybe you should too. He, that, that, he modeled that to us. And, and the other thing that he models, besides serving and healing and all these other amazing things, is he models prayer. But here's the interesting thing about prayer that Jesus models, is that he does it all in nature. There's not a, a, a scripture reference where Jesus is praying in a temple or in a synagogue. Now, he's teaching in synagogues, and he's teaching in temples, or he's kicking tables over in, in the temple, or he is calling the religious elite snakes and vipers in the, in the temple. But he, there's no record of him actually praying inside of a synagogue or a temple. He, he's doing it on the mountaintop. He is praying in the Kidron Valley. He is praying on the shore of Galilee. He's, he's praying on the cross. Fascinating, huh? And so I'm just going to, like maybe you only pray when you come to church. I'm going to encourage you to pray when you are in nature. Because Why? Because Jesus does it. Now, it, prayer in the house of the Lord is, is vitally important. I'm not trying to bash that. I'm not saying that you don't need to come to church to pray. Because Jesus does say, oh, my house, my house, my church, 
will be called a house of prayer. That's the mandate that he gives us, that our house will become a house of prayer. So uh, that's the last thing I'm saying, that we shouldn't be praying inside of the building. I'm just saying we need to pray in the building. We need to pray out of the building. But in that time, I don't think the environment was right for Jesus to be communicating to God because the temple and the synagogue was falling into idolatry and it was a toxic environment. And God really can't, he can't work with people when there's a toxic environment going on. It's called grieving the Holy Spirit and quenching the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to work when there's a, a building full of complaining people. Amen? Jesus is praying in nature. Um, been stressed out this year? If you, you've been stressed out at all this year? You've had anxiety that hits you so hard that your body doesn't even know how to handle the anxiety? Pretty bad? You thought you had it bad. Think about Jesus. You think... Do you think that your anxiety is bad? And Jesus was not an anxious person. But when he faced this cross, well, let me read you what was going through his soul when he faced the cross. Oh, I forgot to tell you about the lilies of the field, didn't I? I'll bring it up later. This is Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, just sit here a while. I will go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Okay, so this is Jesus. He's saying, okay, my emotional state is being overloaded right now with sorrow and anxiety and stress. Why? Because he knows he's going to face the cross in a few minutes. He knows that not only is it going to be hard, like dying is hard enough as it is, right? Being tortured is hard enough as it is. But it's way beyond being tortured to death that Jesus is being sorrowful to the point of death. It's more than that that's making him sweat literal blood. What is making him sorrowful to the point of death and so anxious that his, his pores are producing sweat is that it's not the torture that he's afraid of, or not, he's not afraid of it, but it's not, that's not the pressure there. The pressure is your sin placed upon him. Your sins, your fears, your anxieties, your stresses, your failures, every single one that you've made in the past and every single one that you're going to make in the future. And in addition to that, not only you, but everybody else in this room, everybody else through all of humanity, every single layer of sin from every single person is being laid one right on top of another, a layer, a filter of sin on top of Jesus. He is taking it all on in that very moment. It is so heavy, we can't even come close to comprehend the weight of the cross when Jesus took on our sins. In addition to that heaviness of the, all of humanity's sins laid upon him to be crucified in that moment, in addition to that, he knew that he was going to have to face the rejection of his heavenly Father, because God's going to look at all that, and he says, I gotta, I've got to turn away from that. And that's why Jesus says, my Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me in this moment? Because a good heavenly Father is looking at everything that humanity has done on the cross, on the person of Jesus. So that's why Jesus is stressed out. That's why he feels like he can't take it. So let's just keep on reading. This is a hard thing, right? Do you realize that the cross was more than just torture? It was a hard thing that Jesus had to do for us. Going 
a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup, this, the cross, may it be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. It's a really great, another, another great model that Jesus gives us. Not as I want, but God, as you want. Not my will for my life, Lord, but your will for my life. It's a very humbling prayer. It's very difficult to do. Then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Okay, everybody, please don't fall asleep in church right now. <laughs> Pay attention. I know it's hard. I know your eyes are heavy. Just, just stick with me here. Not a good idea to fall asleep during this scripture. Somebody will take a picture of you, <laughs> post it on the internet. Could you not keep watch with me for an hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time to pray. My father, it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it. May your will be done. So he's getting closer. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And so he left them and went away once more. And he prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then, the, then he returned to the disciples and said among them, You are still sleeping and resting. Look. The hour is near. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now, okay, so obviously the guys keep falling asleep, and Jesus is annoyed. So uh, this is what I want you to see, that, that it could easily, if you're just reading over it, you could easily glaze over it. He starts off saying, like, this is so hard. Like, this thing that God's asking me to do, his will but not my will, is so hard to the point where I can't take it. And then to add injury to insult, his boys keep falling asleep on him. Do you know where he's at right now? He is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is outside in, in, in God's creation around olive trees. I was there two years ago. We believe that the same olive tree just might be there, the one that Jesus was Maybe weeping by. Very cool. In this garden, through these prayers, not one, not two, but three, through dealing with, I mean, he's, gonna, he's facing the cross. And at the same time, he's got to manage his guys that keep on falling asleep. Like the backstabbing has already begun before he's even reached the cross. He starts off like, God, can this cup pass before me too? He ends, I don't know if you caught this, he ends with, get up, let's go, let's do this thing. It's on like Donkey Kong. His whole attitude and changes. it changes. He takes on, he gets empowered to face and do a hard thing. He receives that strength and power by praying in a garden. Isn't that awesome? And God wants to do this with you. He, uh, this is what I got on top of the mountain. I, I received strength. I, again, I, I can't say that I got a, you know, an outline out of the Bible or a specific scripture or you know, an inspirational book that made me a better person. I just got strength to, to overcome things, to lead through situations that I didn't have before. And he can do that with you. In the context of seeking the Lord in his own creation, he will give you the power to do hard things, to bear your cross. This is his promise for you. The other thing that we receive when we get inside of God's creation and have a proper relationship to nature, that what we receive is... is a rejuvenation 
a refreshing of the soul. What that means is uh, your your emotional state will become will will be strengthened and actually come into an alignment with the rest of your body and and honestly the rest of the people that you're in relationship with. If you're all stressed out and anxious, if you're an emotional basket case, uh, chances are the people around you will catch it and they'll become stressed out and emotional basket cases too. You don't need that in your life and you don't need that in your family. You need the Lord to restore your soul. Psalms 23 is one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible for a reason because we need this scripture. You know it, right? You know Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I, sh- I shall not want. So right out of the gate, it is identity with who God is. God is our shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd, right? We talked about this last week where he takes the lamb, which is you, and he puts you on his shoulders and he's carrying you. He is, he is the good shepherd. He's got strength that you don't have. And the very next line is, I shall not want. Like, you don't need this stuff. You don't need the materialism. You don't need the clutter. You don't need all the things. He, he, he knows what you need before you ask. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then this is the fascinating part. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along paths of righteousness for his namesake. He's got a path planned out for you for his namesake, for his glory. And lo, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff They bring me comfort. He prepares a table in the presence of mine enemies. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will be with me for all the days of my life. It's, it's incredible. The whole thing is incredible. It's worth meditating on. And, but until he is walk, before he is walking through the valley of the shadow of death, before he is sitting at a table with his enemies, before God gives him a cup that's overflowing with goodness, before his head is anointed with oil, God is making him, making him lay down on, in green pastures. He is making him to rest by a bubbling brook. Why? Why is God making David do this? Because David, although he is the anointed king, although he has a heart after God's own heart, David's really, really screwed up. Like he has done bad things. He has thought bad things. He is in, he's been in a constant state of anxiety. He has lived a life in fear. You don't believe me? Read Psalms. He's been betrayed. He's been hurt. He's been wounded. He's, got, he's done the full spectrum of all the emotions that you've dealt with. He wants to kick in his enemy's teeth. He does, he's wondering why God has forsaken him. He's in the muck and the mire. He can't get out. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't have any solutions. The reason why God leads him behind these still waters, why? Is so that he can refresh his soul. God wants to refresh your soul. He wants, you to, he wants to breathe integrity into your emotional makeup. He's really, really good at it, but you've got to get away. He's really good at it. Jesus says, we shouldn't be worrying. Worry. Oh my gosh, I'm going to geek out on you guys right now. I saw Dune the other night. It's such a gorgeous movie. I loved it. In, in, Goon, in, Goon, in Dune, one of the great sayings is that fear is the mind killer, right? They, they stole that from the Bible, by the way. Fear is the mind killer. Anxiety. Worry. 
is your mind killer. It takes over your mind. It's you ruminating on all these negative things, and God can't work in your mind space when it's there. Fear is the mind killer. Jesus says it this way. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, I've got every right to worry about that because I saw some empty shelves at Target because of the, sl- the supply chain is down. And, you know, if Doghouse goes out of business, I'm going to fall apart, Pastor Josh. Let's be honest. If Doghouse, if doghouse goes out of business, I'm going to fall apart. But, like, I'm such a foodie. They're not going to go out of business because I go there way too often. I should have stock in that place. Okay. <laughs> don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink. Like, don't let this stuff, this materialism, breed anxiety into you. Be, don't worry about your body or what you will wear. I need some new shoes. Jimmy Choo shoes. Those are for ladies, though, right? Yeah, I can't wear those. is life not more important than food that's a really good question for us isn't it that's a tough one i like food but isn't life more important than food and the body more important than clothes look at the birds in the air Okay, once again, it's a, it's a shift in perspective. You need to get your head up and you need to look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or, or they do not reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, uh, are you not much more valuable than they? Who, okay, catch this. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? We actually scientifically know that the more that you worry, the more hours of life that you take away. So stop. And why do you worry about clothes? You see the lilies of the field and how they grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God closes the, closes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, and is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Oh. So what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Are you ready for this part? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? This is a problem for me because, again, I like food. And I like drink. Ready? Hang on. For pagans run after these things. This is in the red, folks. This is what Jesus says. Pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Okay? So God knows what your needs are. He knows what your practical day-to-day expenses and needs are. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow will have uh, enough worries about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So we just need, again, we we need to have a proper perspective. We need to look up into the sky, see the stars. We need to look up into the sky and see the birds. We need to have a different vantage point of what's going on in our world today. God was telling Abraham, it wasn't just in Genesis chapter 15, he tells him over and over and over again to go outside, get your head up, look at the stars, gaze into eternity. That's what matters. Everything is taking place right now on this plane, in this time frame. It's a, it's a very short amount of time. Let me see, how old am I? I'm pushing 50. 
I might have 20 to 30 years left. That's it. So do I really want to worry about all this stuff compared to eternity with God? Do I really want to let all this worry and anxiety to seep in and to toxify my soul? I don't think so. i got a short amount of time left. I'm going to live life and live it to the full. I'm going to identify, acknowledge what my mission is, and I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, all of them, even the ones I don't like. There are moments when God leads Abraham outside, and this time he takes him to the ocean. He says, look down at the sands on the shore. Try to count them if you can. Again, putting things into perspective. We don't need to be worrying about all the stuff that's taking place in this world. Some of them are our battles to fight. Think about all the good things we have right here. Ready? In Southern California. Some of you are shifting in your seats right now. And you're like, oh my gosh. Pastor Josh, if you read the news, you would know what's going on in Southern California. We need to complain about our governor. We need to complain about Los Angeles County. We need to complain about all the people that are coming into the state. We need to complain about all the people that are leaving the state. We need, to, we need to complain and we need to stand up and we need to fight all the mandates. We need to complain about the mandates. We need to complain about the woman dates. Prices are going up. Gas is getting expensive. I can't afford my rent. I can't afford my mortgage. It's everything's, you know, it's going, everything's going bad. Everything's going bad in a hell in a handbasket in Southern California. It's so bad. So, so bad. We have so much to complain about. And we need to focus more on complaining about Southern California. Do you realize how good you have it here? Do you realize how good this place is? When was the last time you said, oh my gosh, this place is so awesome? This place is great. We did Village Venture yesterday. Thousands and thousands of people came out. And they had a great time. Like, okay, this, this city is a gem. It is so good. No one got shanked at the Village Venture. Right? No Christians were kidnapped and held hostage at this event in a city that supposedly hates God. I count that a blessing. Did you know that after this service, you can continue to worship God? A 10-minute drive right up that street right there will get your feet in a creek, a stream that God created for you. And you can continue to worship God in nature, and it's literally 10 minutes away. If you want to be adventurous and drive another 20 to 10 minutes up the Mount Bali Road, you can get on a ski lift, and you can have a view that overlooks the entire city. You can change your perspective literally in 20 minutes from this point. If you want to invest 45 minutes, you can drive to Laguna Beach. You could actually get to Newport Beach a little faster, but Laguna's prettier. So maybe you're not a mountain person and you don't want to look up at the stars, but you can go to Laguna and you can look down at the sand and you can count the sand and you can listen to the waves crash on the, sh the shore and you can see the sea foam. And do you know what that wave is doing? It's, it's like, God, good God, good creation. That's what the waves are doing. They are literally worshiping God. And you can go and be a part of that today. There's no other place in the world that you can do that. Do you know that this is the only place 
in, in America where you can go skiing and surfing on the same day. This is a great place to live. We need to quit complaining about it. Did you know that you can go to the desert And if you go further further in the desert, then all the, at night, then all of the light pollution from the cities go away, and you can see the same stars with the same light that Abraham saw. What? Thirty minutes? Forty minutes? Do you know that you can find a river of living water. Okay, this one's a little bit further, but the Colorado River is a big deal. It's gorgeous. You can go see the Colorado River. Okay, that one will take you four hours. You can go with Michael Jones. He likes that place. That's, that's why Colorado made this, uh, the, this, this, this message, is because of Michael. But you can see one of the greatest rivers in the world, Colorado. It's not, that, it's not too far. You can do it. Another 40 minutes up the road, and okay, this, I'm going to get humanistic for a second, but you can go to Lake Arrowhead, and you can drive on, on a man-made marvel. Like, that road is amazing. The art, the, you know, the engineering that took place to get you to Lake Arrowhead is absolutely amazing. We, we did a good job. Yay, human team. Um, but you have an incredible lake up there. Lake Arrowhead is absolutely gorgeous. So next year, make sure you sign up for family camp and hang out at the lake. It will restore your soul. Pastor Josh, you don't understand my personality. Okay, so let me make this, let me make this point. We have a, an assessment inside of our church for pre-marriage counseling and marriage counseling. It's called the Symbus Assessment. It's great. It will tell you uh, your personality and your dynamics and the context of your relationship. It's absolutely amazing. It will tell you how jacked up and screwed up you really are and why, and why your relationship is so dysfunctional. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible tool that we have. But one of the other interesting things about this tool is that it will tell you or it will reflect how best you connect with God. And this is, everybody needs to get this and understand this and have a little bit of grace on how we move forward in discipleship and talking about God. Some people connect with God by studying the scriptures. Some people connect with God by singing and worship. Some people connect better by, with God by having conversations in the context of small groups. And some people, like me, connect with God in nature. And they're all needed. So you might be thinking to yourself, Pastor Josh, I don't like sand between my toes. I don't like to get dirty. I'm afraid an animal is going to eat me. Yeah? Okay, so if that's you, if that's you, this, this nature sermon, you can't get around it. Because in Southern California, another 40-minute drive, 30-minute drive, you can be at the Huntington Gardens. It's nice and clean. There's concrete pathways. Everything's wheelchair accessible, and it's gorgeous. Some of the world's greatest plants and some of the world's best um, uh, outdoor architects designed that place, and you have access to it, and I believe it's still free. You, maybe not. Some days. They have a free day. One day a month. Okay, so there's a free day. You can also go to the L.A. Arboretum, another huge collection of God's nature in the form of plants and koi fish. So that's another option for you, unless you're afraid of peacocks. <laughs> the suckers are mean and scary. I'm telling you, you, you need to get into nature this week. We need it. Your, your soul, your emotions, your relationships need it. God, I guarantee you, God will communicate to you in nature. I promise you he will. It might take some time. It might take you an hour hike. It might take you, you know, you might need to decompress, get all the static out of your head. And then the moment will hit you, you go, <gasps> and God begins to speak to you. 
And then he begins to restore your soul. And then he begins to give you strength and power to do hard things. And then he gives you the proper perspective for all the craziness that's taking place in this world. I'm convinced that that only takes place in nature. Um, you know, whenever we say you need to be in your word, we mean that. So if you're not in the word, then you're a bad Christian. Uh, we we say that you know you need to be you don't you shouldn't forsake the gathering. You need to have a Sabbath Sunday. So if you're not Sabbathing every week, then you're a bad Christian. Um, if you're not being faithful in the tithe, then you're a bad Christian. If you're not um, fellowshipping with one another, then, then well, you're a bad Christian. So today's message, if you don't go to the beach, you're a bad Christian. <laughs> if you don't go to a garden, you're a bad Christian. If you, if you don't go to the mountains, you're a bad Christian. If you don't go to the desert, you're a bad Christian. So don't be a bad Christian. Get, in, get into God's creation. This is what, again, this is, again, the planet has been worshiping before we've been created. So allow the, the planets, worship vibrations. To, this is going to sound new age and weird, but it's true. Allow the vibrations and the worship of the planet, the, the, the worship of the stones and the clapping of the trees and the clapping of the waves, uh, let, that, let that, the, the, the world's worship come through you and worship out of you. You need it so bad. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It's, it's, it's what you need. And you can't get it at Disneyland. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> Disneyland is man-made. It's awesome. Like, it's awesome. And you can, you can, you know, you can have a good time. You, you might be able to get rejuvenated at Disneyland. But, okay, just so, the Swiss family Robinson tree, which is now the Tarzan tree, it's not real. It's not real. It's all concrete and wire and stuff. It's not real. And I even hear that there's chlorine in the water and they pour dye in there, blue and green dye to make it look. It's not real, folks. Get out into something that is real. And it's free. And it'll give you right perspective. It'll give you power. And it will restore your soul. Amen.